For our Capital Notes conversation today, we look back on the year in politics. One of the biggest Wisconsin stories of 2017 was Foxconn and the state's $3 billion incentives package for the Taiwanese company to locate here. Governor Walker championed the deal, saying the huge LCD screen manufacturing plant in Racine County will transform the state's economy. But Democrats were skeptical and blasted the plan during the debate. WUWM's Marty Michelson asked J.R. Ross of WISPolitics.com why the governor pushed so hard to land Foxconn. You know, Walker wanted to see his plant come here because it represents a major opportunity for Wisconsin to kind of be in the next wave of, of manufacturing technology. Um, it could be a transformative project in southeastern Wisconsin, and Walker's argued there could be a ripple effect across the state of suppliers around Wisconsin being able to work with the company. But it's all a, a possibility right now. We're not clear exactly what's going to happen and when. There's a timeline laid out of when we expect things to happen, but there are no guarantees in this line of work. And so that's part of what Democrats have been pushing, that, yes, the company has said it put invest $10 billion and create up to 13,000 jobs, but there are no guarantees of anything right now. While the Foxconn package was making its way through the legislature, so was Governor Walker's biennial budget. It delays road projects in Milwaukee County in order to plug a hole in the transportation budget. Why did lawmakers decide that this was the best plan, and what will be the impact of this decision? Well, Governor Walker laid out kind of this ultimatum with the budget that he did not want to see a gas tax increase or registration fee increase as part of the document. So originally it seemed like he'd be open to some kind of hike if it was offset by tax cuts elsewhere. But as the process kind of rolled along, Governor Walker moved the goalposts and said flat out no gas tax increase or registration fee increase. Well, without that new revenue, you know, you can go and try to find uh, savings in existing expenses that you have, delay projects or cut projects. And so lawmakers really didn't have a choice because they didn't want to bond more uh, because it adds long-term cost to the state's transportation fund to pay off that debt. If you're not going to bond more, if you're not going to raise taxes or fees, then you're going to have to put off projects. And so that's part of where they're at right now. In the meantime, after making significant cuts to education in previous years, Walker added funding this time. Why did he do that? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One, after Scott Walker ran for president briefly in 2015, he you know, his poll numbers weren't very good in Wisconsin. He dedicated himself to traveling the state and talking to voters to kind of reconnect. And the feedback he says he got from those conversations were that people wanted to see more spending on schools. Then you look at, you know, the record of referendums in the past few years, there was a message clearly being sent by people that they thought that our spending on schools had fallen behind. So for Walker, one, this is the feedback he got from people, and two, it was a political vulnerability for him. Going into 2018, We've been known for a while that he was going to run for re-election, and this is a place that unless he had invested money, there's an uh, easy attack on him about something that's important to voters right now. So it kind of takes care of two things. It shows, one, that he's re-engaged with people and hearing their concerns, and two, it helps him uh, with a talking point for 2018 that he can go out there and sell that, hey, you know, state of Wisconsin put $640 million into K-12 education and held down property tax at the same time you know, that's going to be a big selling point for him. As far as other legislation, 2017 might be known as the year when not a whole lot besides Foxconn and the budget got passed. Now talk about some of the pieces of hot-button legislation that fell by the wayside and why that happened. Well, you know, Foxconn and the budget sucked up so much oxygen in the Capitol because the budget was introduced in February and it took until the middle of September for it to be signed into law. Normally, it's wrapped up by the first week of July, roughly around there. 
So that was an issue. Foxconn was a big lift that took up a good part of the summer, uh, kind of a dual track along the budget. And lawmakers, Republicans have been in control of the Capitol now pretty much for six, six and a half years, almost seven. In that time, they've crossed off a lot of things in their to-do list. There just isn't much left to do of the kind of original priorities they had when they took over in 2011. So now they're fighting about more parochial interest or things that aren't as unifying for the party. For example, there's a couple of bills out there that would ban the sale of fetal tissue from abortions. It is clear that lawmakers, Republicans, want to ban the sale of fetal tissue. The approach, though, has become an issue because they can't agree on how to do it. There's one side that wants to say, okay, any tissue procured from an abortion after a certain date cannot cannot be used anymore. There are fears in the research community about how that would impact work at places like UW-Madison. And the Republicans are saying, well, I'm not sure that that goes that would go too far. So there's a standoff there. There's also things like, oh, allowing people to carry a concealed weapon uh, without a permit. That just hasn't got much traction because there's a split in the caucuses about whether to take it up, uh, if they can get consensus on the bill. And it's a a bill that kind of cuts different ways that people up north and out west are more open to it, it seems like, than people in suburban areas. So there are things like that that are have kind of split Republicans after a pretty good run of knocking out things on their to-do list. 2017 saw a lot of Democrats announcing their bids for governor. What's the latest tally, and why are so many people lining up? Because in other years, only one or two Democrats showed interest. You have to kind of ask yourself, what do you... What's a legitimate candidate? So, I mean, people registered with the, the state to run. There are like I don't know, more than 16 people who at least filed with the state saying they intend to run for governor next year. Now, when push comes to shove, a bare minimum, they have to get 2,000 signatures from people statewide, turn those nomination papers and qualify for the ballot, file their statements of economic interest and all those kinds of things. But really, truly, you know, competitive candidates, uh, you know, six, eight, ten, somewhere in that neck of the woods. But... The race is kind of breaking into tiers of who's kind of a top-tier candidate that really is taken seriously and who's maybe has a shot to break in that top tier. But why they're all getting in is they they look back at what happened in the presidential race in Wisconsin last year in the primary. Bernie Sanders ran a very progressive campaign and won 71 of 72 counties in the state um, on his way to winning Wisconsin in the, the primary. They're thinking to themselves, okay, if I can tap, tap into that progressive mood in the party base right now, that could help me win the nomination. And then they look at what's happening nationally with President Trump's poll numbers and say, well, if President Trump is going to be as, as have numbers as bad as they are right now come November of next year, anything's possible. So you just win that nomination. And it could be, you know, 20, 25, 30% could be in the nomination right now. If you just win that nomination, the environment might be enough to make you at least competitive with Walker. Not necessarily beat him, but be competitive with Walker. And if you can raise enough money and have a good enough message, that might be enough to put you over the top. So they, they're seeing an opportunity against Scott Walker because of the environment. Also in 2017, there was a shakeup in leadership at the Capitol as Assembly Democrats removed Minority Leader Peter Barca from his post. Barca had a long record as leader, including when he was one of the main Democrats fighting Act 10 back in 2011. His replacement is State Representative Gordon Hins, who has been called more aggressive by some, I have you seen an impact yet of the change in leadership? We're seeing little things like an effort to try and make the, the caucus more focused on its message. Um, 
But lots of us in the cover of the Capitol have sat through assembly debates that go on for hours and hours and hours, and they seem to be the same arguments made over and over again. Uh, Hintz has been trying to uh, have them be more succinct in making their arguments rather than having everybody talk about something, kind of focus on a few people. He's talked about decentralizing power in the caucus to be more people involved to buy in. And the stuff that's really kind of to be seen is whether he gets buy-in from his caucus that come 2018, they are going to raise money, even if they're in safe districts, raise money, donate to the cause, help out other Democratic candidates, because there are a lot of people in that caucus who are in safe seats and can kind of just glide along. To get out of the hole they're in right now, they need buy-in from their caucus to go out and, even if they're not, don't even have a challenger on the ballot, to go out and raise money anyway to help other Democratic candidates in swing seats. Every dollar helps. They need buy-in. They need guys to go out and do doors. They need members of caucus to travel other districts and kind of spread the message. They need they need buy-in from these folks to try and get out of the hole and to be seen if if Hintz can get them to, to buy-in and truly be involved in that, that process.